good friend of mine he's seen you a couple times live yeah and one of the things he noticed or mentioned about you is he said this is, has nothing to do with your music by the way okay. <laughs> which is appropriate for a music podcast yeah. but he said you're a dead ringer for a character in the Shawshank Redemption have you seen that oh wait a minute um I have seen it but D- Blaine has told me this before <laughs> it's, this, it's this character named Tommy Tommy. And he's got the he's got the sideburns, the chops, yeah, you know. And he's the guy who comes and tells Andy Dufresne that he's an innocent oh, man, and God, he can prove his dude. story. Anyway, I'm trying to place him because he's been in other stuff. Oh too, yeah, I yeah, think. for sure. But has people have told you that before? One time, and it was I think it was Blaine. It was some he probably talked. Is this a Tuscaloosa guy? Yeah, I, it is. I wonder if they heard it from the same. Maybe. But usually it's weird. Like I get just any sort of ambiguously, vaguely ethnic looking dude. <laughs> like, ethnic looking kind of really. Yeah, like Bruce Springsteen uh, or like John Belushi or just <laughs> those a, are your oh, doppelgangers. Sal Minio, somebody. The okay, other day, yeah, so I can kind of like, see it. It's guys yeah. that are like maybe like half Italian or Greek or something. You know. Do you have any of that uh, in your background? No, no? which is hilarious, but <laughs> no, nothing remotely interesting. It's all just kind of Alabama white people, <laughs> so well, I don't know where. So you're touring right now? Well, this weekend we're just doing two. We just did one in Jackson last night and tonight because uh-huh. we're playing these shows with Matt Patton mm-hmm. to learn the new songs for this record we're fixing to do. Okay, and the new record. And, yeah. You're coming off a strong year. And people, you had a really Thanks, positive man. response to your first album. And that was your debut album, correct? Yep. So what's in store for the next one? We are doing it in Nashville in this studio called Battle Tapes. It's got Jeremy, who's done some cool stuff. Chet Wisey, who plays with Sweet Dog and Silver Lines, and he was in Quadrajets, Mortally Kenny Killers, all that. He was a guy that suggested this guy Jeremy to me. Because his one of his current bands recorded there, and it sounded really good. Jeremy also recorded an album that one of my favorite albums from last year by this Nashville band Pujol, and he recorded their last full length, and it was great. And he's done some other Nashville bands, but he seemed like a cool guy, has a cool studio, and so we're gonna do it there. And uh, Tim Kerr, who's produced stuff for Dexteens and Quadrajets and Manor Ashtram and all kinds of people is going to come and produce it. And you've worked with him before? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, with the next teens on some stuff that never came out. Uh-huh. And then he produced the Glory Fires album, and then we like basically re-recorded the album. So the one that's out, he didn't produce, but so he, he did arranged like a, rough a lot cut of those songs. Kind of yeah, it wound up kind of being more demos in a way, because... Okay. We recorded it after we'd only been a band for a couple months. Like, we'd only played a show or two. And then our guitar player on that album wound up moving to Orange Beach. Like, so we weren't playing with him anymore. And we were like, well, hell, we'll just do a new version of the album. So in terms of, like, theme and tone, sound with this new album, I'm sure people have probably heard a lot of the songs up to this point live since there was a Bomb and Gilead release. But can you talk a little bit about what this is going to sound like compared to the last album? Is it going to be similar? 
I'm hoping for it to sound pretty different. The first recording that we did with Tim was real raw and very, partly in the way we recorded it and partly because we didn't really even know the songs all that well yet. And then the album that we put out, we'd been playing those songs and touring with those songs for a while. And the recording was a lot more sort of hi-fi, you know. So I'm hoping to sort of find something in the middle with those two, have a good, loud raw sound but with performances that are strong and confident you know something that we were talking about before we got started here was you're playing with matt Patton as your bassist Mm -hmm. people obviously know matt from the dexatines and model citizen and he's toured a little bit with drive-by truckers Mm -hmm. um that's exciting that he's playing with you that's going to make for a great show he's a seasoned musician and i know you guys have played together the dexatines on and off when he was sort of in and out of it but we were talking about how bands are on a constant rotation, especially when guys are living in different parts of the state yeah. or even out of state yeah. in some cases. Is that a struggle? <clears throat> Talk about sort of the constant struggle there seems to be to sort of keep four guys in the same place <laughs> at one time when you're, yeah. not, when you're not touring, when you just need to practice. Right. It is a struggle, man. It's a, it is a, I mean... That's the weird thing. And I listened to Sweet Dog's podcast that y'all did the other day, and it was great. And I loved his comment about being in a band not being pillows and blankets and popcorn or whatever and uh, that you put in the headline. But um, I would say a solid 75% of my band-related activities are making sure that people are in a given place at a given time. <laughs> the logistics. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like... Between booking shows and talking to other bands about putting bills together and setting up practices and figuring out, because I live in Atlanta now. Right now, everybody that's playing is in Birmingham, unless Matt's playing with us and he lives in Mississippi now. So it's like getting everybody in the same place. It's, you know. It's everything but the music that you're having to deal with. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Putting it all together. And when you finally can play, is that like blowing off steam? It is in a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah. It is in a lot of ways. And that is the point, you know. That's the point of everything else is to be able to go and just play, do what you love doing for an hour, you know. It seems like if there's anyone who is blowing off steam on stage, then it would be you (laughs) and your bandmates because of the energy of your shows. I mean, if you learn nothing else from a Lee Bain and the Glorifier show, it's that you're going to sweat. Yeah, you're gonna get loud. You're gonna get raucous. I mean, you're, you're gonna. It's gonna feel like you've been exercising for an hour or two. Awesome. So, yeah. is that something that you're conscious of? Is that something that you try to do? Yes. Yeah, it is. Like I try to. Um, Matt Patton and I were talking about this last night because we were talking about a uh, Brad Armstrong who plays in Thirteen Ghosts. He's had Thirteen Ghosts for years, and he's played in Dexteens. On and off for a long time, but consistently for the last, I guess, probably three years, three or four years. But what Matt was saying was that the older Brad gets, the wilder he gets on stage. And he thought that was so cool. And I made the connection that Brad told me a few years ago when my band, Arkadelphia, was playing with 13 Ghosts. He said, man, it's just crazy to me that y'all are just so y'all move around so much and you're so rowdy and like you're smiling and stuff and he's like the bands that I saw and that I appreciated when I was coming up you know when I was a teenager it was you know Nirvana and it was 
my bloody Valentine, no, no matter really on what side of the spectrum, part of the deal was like the anti-rock star thing to do was to look like you're not really showing off. You're just there like doing your thing or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what the, because the rock stars at the time were Motley Crue and Poison and they were obnoxious and do you know, and right. so it was cool to see somebody just be like, whatever, I'm not even going to look at the crowd. I'm just going to look at my feet and play. And he was like, but now it's like, but I see y'all doing that. And he's like, music is fun. Like, this is fun. I love doing this. Like we should, you know, get rowdy and do whatever. When he said that, it made me realize that when I was coming up, all the rock stars just looked at their feet and did, you know, were like <laughs> making dour faces and pictures and all that. Like, because when I was a kid, Nirvana were rock stars, you know, and every band that tried to be Nirvana and, you know, tried to be the imitations of Nirvana and they all looked sad in pictures and would just kind of stand there and mope, you know. And it's like, it was rock and roll, dude. Like, quit taking yourself so seriously and have fun, you know? Well, let's talk about when you were a kid. Yeah. You, now, you, you say you're from Birmingham, right? Yeah. Were you born in Birmingham? Yeah. And so you grew up there? Yep. So tell me a little bit about the band's household. Well, I have two older brothers. Okay. Who are uh, considerably older than me. Okay. They're like 10 and 14 years older than me. And then I have a, a younger brother. And uh, my folks or sweetest people you've ever met, very straight-laced. You know, there's very kind of, there was no TV during the week and no, you could drink like one Coke a week and stuff like that. It was pretty Pretty strict. So are you guys going to church? Yeah. yeah, What what kind of church? An Episcopal church. Okay. So not, um, but it was a pretty conservative Episcopal church. My wife's Episcopalian. Okay. Yeah. We went to the Church of the Advent in Birmingham growing up. So it was a, pretty formal theologically conservative church yeah that my parents actually wound up leaving when i was in college because the uh, dean of the church seceded from the episcopal church over the gay bishop right. in new hampshire right so that's the kind of environment that a religious environment <clears throat> but also my grandparents all my grandparents were methodists my grandmother is a choir director uh-huh. she directed choirs at i guess when i was a kid it was at woodlawn methodist church she directed choirs on the east side of birmingham and methodist and baptist churches forever so really choral music was like really that was kind of the thing yeah, you my sang family. in the choir right yeah and all i mean since i was like four years old so hymns and yeah gospel hymns. has been a big part of yeah, your life gospel, not so much gospel gospel not in my family really okay both of my parents worked, so my little brother and I had a babysitter growing up that uh, kept us like from you know four to to like a drive, basically. You know? So this is like a so, extension of the yeah, family. Yeah, she's like, a like new my yeah, she's like my aunt, basically. Yeah. You know, or like a, an older sister or whatever. They're a second mother, kind of. And uh, she, Renee Bell, is her name. She is. Uh, a member of a holiness Pentecostal church, which strangely enough now meets in about three blocks from my grandparents' old house in Eastlake, where my grandmother used to direct the Baptist church choir. It used to be Ruhama Baptist church. And this was like in the sixties, I guess when my grandmama directed the choir. And then later Renee's church wound up moving in there years and years later. But anyway, so we went to church with her all growing up as well. And um, that is very straight up gospel, Pentecostal gospel right. church. Right. And she is a great singer, although she would never admit that. And she'd 
denied if I were to say that, or if she heard me say that. But um, she also listened to gospel music constantly and sang. And so I, I didn't really even want to listen to it, but I didn't have a choice. It was just on all the time. So from the time I was, like I said, three years old to when I could finally start driving myself around and listening to what I wanted to listen to. It was ingrained. It was ingrained, yeah. yeah. And then later on when I got older and started playing guitar, I played guitar at the church. Mm. Some. So uh, did you like going to church like before you even started playing music? Because, I mean, that would give you something to do there. But were you into it when you were younger? Man, it was like it was strange going to all the different churches uh-huh. to me because everybody had such different ideas of connecting to God. And even though they're all Protestant churches, I mean, they're right. really not. I mean, I'm sure in the grand scheme of things, it's all the they same aren't main that idea. different. Right. Yeah. They aren't that different from one another. But man, I mean, you know, to go from a very uh, formal Book of Common Prayer following Episcopal Church. All about routine. All about yep. routine. Same and, same every week. Right. Yep. Saying these, reading these prayers that were written 400 years ago right. or whatever, you know. And then to the really kind of small, simple Southern Methodist Church where it's just kind of easy going and the Cokesbury hymns and uh-huh. all those kinds of things. And then going to the, I mean, three-hour-long altar call, Holy Ghost, you know, Black Pentecostal Church. But I got something out of the service at every one of them. And I wasn't like, I wasn't like, when I was growing up, I, I really didn't like going to church. Yeah. I didn't, I hated Sunday school. Yeah. I hated all that stuff. Sound like but, a normal kid. Yeah, yeah, a normal kid. Yeah. But it was, but I think what impressed me was just that everybody had their own way of communing with the same thing and they all worked they all had their value you know what i mean i guess i really hadn't thought much about that until recently but that was a really valuable experience you still doing the church thing at all man i kind of wander in and out yeah you know and yeah. um we've been traveling so much that i haven't been well i bet touring just almost kills that and yeah. when you're short on rest too yeah you need that morning a lot of people do what did your parents do? They are both attorneys okay. in Birmingham. So they're still in Birmingham. Yeah. And you said it was kind of a strict household, mm-hmm. conservative. When did you start getting into rock and roll? I mean, you were listening to hymns and, you know, you got into this church music. Right. But when did you start really learning to appreciate it? Because you mentioned Nirvana and stuff. Well, my dad loves rock and roll. Okay. He loves huge Allman Brothers fan, Marshall Tucker. Uh-huh. And then he loved like a lot of 60s soul music, you know, like. Wilson Pickett and Temptations and Sam and Dave and yeah. that kind of, and Motown. Like, and then he really liked like uh, some of the outlaw country, like Charlie Daniels, Hank Jr. kind of stuff. So we listened and Rolling, loved Rolling Stones. My mom liked Elvis. My mom didn't really, she's not like a rock, but my dad just loved rock and roll. And he, you would never really think it necessarily. He's a real straight laced guy, but he just loves rock and roll. Like, if I'm ever home and my car's in the shop or something and I'm driving his car somewhere, like I'll crank it up and just music's blasting <laughs> out of the stairs. Like as soon as you crank the car, it's just, you know, he's got like Skinner or something just blasting. So they were okay with you listening to secular music? Oh, yeah. No, totally. no problem. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah, there, there was no problem with that kind of thing. My yeah. parents are really, they're weird, man. Like, they're not weird. That's not the word I meant to use. Sure. They're, they're idiosyncratic in the sense that intellectually they're very open-minded people, yeah. very open-minded and sort of Catholic in their worldview. You know, they're very supportive of the arts and literature and music and and into respecting people's differences. Progressive, and all that kind of yeah, yeah they're progressive that's good. people. 
but it's like you better have all your homework done and right. you know ev- not everybody has to go to church on sunday morning but you do you know it's like that kind of thing you know and then my older brothers were into they were really mostly into classic rock and then my oldest brother is really the one who got me kind of in, into indie rock and like uh replacements and Husker Du and all mm-hmm. 97s and Stooges and kind of got me into more of that kind of stuff. Did you start playing music at a very young age or did it start in high school? When did you pick up your first guitar? Uh, I was 12, I think. Okay. I'd been taking piano since I was a kid because, again, my grandma played piano. My mom grew up playing piano, but I hated it. I hated piano. <laughs> I was awful at it. I didn't want to practice. I didn't, you know, because I didn't like the music I was playing. You know? Yeah. So somehow just the stars aligned and my piano teacher, who's this older woman, classic kind of piano teacher <laughs> lady, was uh, retiring finally. And she told my mama that, uh, she was like, you know, I, I just don't think Lee's really cut out for the piano. <laughs> and she mentioned my little stubby fingers and uh, she was like, he might be a better guitar player. And I was like, what? Are you serious? You know, because I've been begging my parents to let me play guitar since I was like little, yeah. you know, and I'd seen Elvis, you know, or something. So finally they acquiesced. And so it was about 12, I think. They bought you a guitar? Bought me a, an Oscar Schmidt acoustic guitar. <laughs> They went to the music stores like, what's the cheapest guitar you have? Because <laughs> we're not counting on him sticking with this. I well, guess, you know, man, I wore it out. Really? Know? Yeah. Moved on to the next one. Or how long did you have that one? Did it stick around for a while? Yeah, it did. For, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. They got me in a, an electric guitar probably a year, year and a half after I'd started started playing the acoustic that's guitar. a big next step isn't it i mean to move on from the acoustic to the electric yeah i mean yeah. for you was that a big deal oh yeah it was huge yeah. i mean that's what i wanted from the, from get, the outset yeah. you know i still i still play it where'd you go to high school i went to indian springs okay and what year did you graduate in oh three i'm oh three are you really yeah and where'd you go to high central high school in tuscaloosa oh, that's yeah, cool that's right yeah that's i went right. to camp with some Central what High camp? School folk. Camp McDowell, the Episcopal. Yeah, it's weird, too, because when I got out of college and was really hanging out around Tuscaloosa a lot, this guy that I hung out with a lot, who's now one of my best friends in the world, Caleb Johnson and I were hanging out at Egan's one night and talking to Ham. Yeah. Bagby. Yeah. Yeah, because Ham has a long connection to Camp McDowell. And uh, they figured out that Caleb's granddaddy oversaw all the groundskeeping at Camp McDowell. That was his full-time job for years and years and years and years. Ham was like, your granddaddy was Mr. Rick. He's like, dude, Mr. Rick, he's my hero or whatever. (laughs) You know, it's funny how... uh, all those kind of worlds collide oh, yeah, in that yeah. way. And you just drop references for the next several hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. What kind of high school life was it for you? For some people I know, it's like high school becomes secondary once you've been to like a camp atmosphere or environment. You know, you kind of look forward to that during the summertime. Was it like that for you? Did you enjoy your time at high school? Well, I didn't go to camp a whole lot. I just went, I think, two summers in middle school. Okay. And then we would do church retreats there and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, man, high school was a pretty tumultuous time. Was it? In my life, yeah. It was uh, It was like, there was a lot of like after school special material in my high school. Really? At Indian yeah. Springs, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I just, I had a lot of, uh, I was just a wild kid. Really? Man. Yeah. Troublemaker? Just, yeah, yeah. And I uh, just troubled, you know. I got you. And um, so... Uh, 
and really, it was weird, I guess. Uh, yeah, I got, yeah, I just got in tr- a lot of trouble. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, is this like, I mean, going to detention, getting suspended? There's that, that yeah, all okay. that stuff. And then yeah. did this sort of like translate into the household too? I mean, in trouble with parents, that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. 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 It was just, it was, yeah, I was just, uh, I was a mess. I was just a mess, you know, bad. And yeah. uh, so, I. Well, I'm curious though, because I mean, you yeah. said you spent a lot of time in the church. And is that something that you had while you were in high school, or did you sort of get away from it? Is that when you started getting into trouble, you think? When you- um, well, I was never really into it. Right. I mean, and I never really, well, I've never really been into church as a, there's some, it, there's a weird thing where like, I've never been into church as a community. I've always gotten something out of, well, not always, but I get something out of a service and I get something out of people being together, putting their focus on something else, on Mm -hmm. something bigger than them. And you know what I mean? But then when it got outside of that, when it got to Sunday school and youth group and all that, I always felt really alienated Mm -hmm. and all that Mm -hmm. and not a part of that. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, like I said, I, I went, you know, I went to Sunday school and because I didn't really have a choice growing up, you know, right. that's what we were supposed to do. What you but, do, yeah. You know, and, uh, but I, I wasn't into it really, you know. So even, I mean, all through high school, we were still going to church every Sunday and, you know, I was still going to the youth group stuff kind of against my will and yeah, stuff. Like, kind of going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, the process of kind of getting past that period of my life and sort of, healing and all that was sort of reconfiguring my conception of spirituality mm-hmm. and, and belief in a community of believers and stuff like that and sort of redefining that and to sort of take the good that I'd seen growing up and that I could connect to and relate to and, um, leaving behind you know i mean which we all experience you know but leaving behind the hypocrisy that i saw you know the people who get up and are the leaders of the church but you know are running a shady business or cheating on their wife or whatever you know and then and also the sort of for me it was a lot of the authority structure that went along in the church where you know to me the whole point of spirituality is having a personal experience you know and really just submitting yourself to one power you know the ultimate power yeah and I I didn't like the idea of having to answer to just some guy who's wearing a suit and you know he's he's my boss for some reason you know that hasn't been adequately explained to me right you know so even when I was going to church during that time I, I wasn't it wasn't connecting, really. Yeah. You know? And uh, I, I think I just had to get away from all that for a while, really, to just kind of figure out what what I really believed in my heart of hearts and what I could um, what I could cling to. Yeah. You know? Then after that, I could start going back to church again and see the beauty in those differences that I saw, you know, and see that we can... That there is no single way for us to for every single person in the world to relate to 
what they believe in. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so. in, in terms of like a timeline, is this still, are we still in high school right now? Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of high school yeah. is when I, I sort of started to come out of the woods. Okay. You know? And is, has music become an outlet for you at this point? Huge, big time. Okay. So big is this time. what sort of like led you away from what you're talking about here? Is Somewhat. this what, okay. It's what got me through it in a lot of times. Uh-huh. Like I <clears throat> just, uh, struggled a lot with, uh, just, just, I mean, I guess to, you know, just bad depression, uh-huh. and all that, and just I was just in a really dark place, you know, not wanting to. I was suicidal and stuff, and but I remember like I was watching Austin City Limits one night, which I always watched every Sunday night <clears throat> before supper, and uh, they had and. A Towns Van Zant tribute on, and I was like, I would say I was probably 15 or 16. I was in a really dark place in my life, and uh, I saw Towns Van Zant for the first time singing these songs, and I was just, I felt an empathy for another person's feeling through music like I'd never experienced before, and um, I went and bought a like a double disc anthology of his. And uh, I would sit there and listen to it and think this guy is singing exactly how I feel. And if somebody can feel this and then make it so beautiful, then life must be worth living. If just for the chance of letting somebody else know who's feeling the same despair that there is something beautiful that can come of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that really got me through those times. And then as far as playing music, I was really just so uh, ate up with addiction and stuff like that, that I didn't really uh, play music all that much, you know. And I was in high school. I mean, you don't really, I wasn't aware of that many opportunities to play music. So no like garage bands or high school band or anything like that? We did have bands, but we just didn't really play that. We didn't practice that much. No discipline or, yeah. I mean, because I, I mean, I just wasn't even close to together enough to yeah. do that. Yeah. And uh, so I, I wrote songs out of thousand half written songs, you know, <laughs> where I'd have like a chorus and a couple of verses and then I just, you know, whatever. But a huge part of me coming out of the woods was becoming aware of the all ages scene in Birmingham. And there was one in Tuscaloosa. We never played there, but the all ages DIY venues in Birmingham and Montevallo and Anniston. That seeing kids my age who were disaffected in some way from all these different high schools and parts of town and different kind of backgrounds and family backgrounds, all kind of making music together, you know, and hanging out. And there were artists and there were people, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was a really, uh, that was a really kind of galvanizing, enriching experience. So what led to you going to New York for school? Uh, man, I just want to get out of Alabama. What school did you go to? I went to NYU. Okay. New York. Yeah, that's a big step. Mm, it was huge. Yeah, it was very, very different and very eye-opening. So your grades me. must have been very good. They Well, it was weird, man. They kind of followed a path, an erratic path, uh-huh. that closely uh, coincided with my spells. Right. And uh, so, like, when I started high school... When I started high school, they started to slip. I mean, like all through, I was like A and B student all growing up. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then high school, they took quite a dive there. 
but then like I would get in trouble and the I would have a lot of uh, strictures, I guess, and my grades would jump back up. Yeah, you know, and then they would fall again because I'd find a way to weasel through the strictures or whatever <laughs> and that kind of thing. So, right. But yeah, so I wound up with decent grades. Yeah. So NYU. Yeah. You get to New York. Yep. Things change. Yep. I mean, that opens your eyes personally, not just musically or artistically. Yep. What was New York like for you? Man, that was, uh, God, it was, it felt weirder than a different country in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it was, a. Uh, I had no way of anticipating what that was really going to be like. Even though, I, I mean, I'd been there twice and my older brother at that time who he still lives there hmm. but he was living there so i've been up there to visit him mm-hmm. he's a lot older than I, he's 14 years older right. than him so he left home when i was like four years old okay. so we started hanging out the more that i was up there and it was great to have him there that's really all i would do is just look around and be like god this is so different from home and, yeah. so, and just way after way after way but it was weird like i guess i sort of thought about new york as the New York that I'd read about from like the late seventies, mm. you know, or the sixties, like I was seeing like Andy Warhol, Velvet Underground, or like the Ramones and, you know, talking heads and television, that kind of thing. It was not that New York at all that I came into, you know, cause I guess by the time I was up there really, there was no underbelly really to New York. There was no sort of underdog spirit that all those bands had. Cause New York's is like the sort of, shining city on the hill kind of thing. Was this, this by the point. time like Giuliani had sort of gotten yes, in and yeah, cleaned yeah, it all up? Post yeah. 9-11, post Giuliani. Okay. Yeah. So it was weird. So I didn't really get that whole vibe that I was expecting to uh-huh. get. You know, and people would say, oh man, I bet you're scared walking around New York being from Birmingham. I was like, right. no, that's not it. Exactly. I'm from Birmingham. Too. They're scared, like, of, they're scared of the guy from Birmingham. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I d- didn't experience it in that way. But what I did experience that I didn't really anticipate was meeting so many different uh, or people of so many different backgrounds. You know, I, you know, uh, in Birmingham, I'd never met somebody from Puerto Rico, for instance, or Dominican Republic or Haiti. And those people from those places wound up being my friends in college. You know, I think something that really struck me was how people could so happily live together despite their differences while maintaining a sense of their own cultural identity and have a pride in that, but while appreciating everybody else's too. And that really struck me, you know, that you would, like I had this study group and in our study group, it was weird because it was me, and then there was this, my buddy Stanley, who was born in Haiti, and then this guy Mark, who was born in Trinidad, this girl Alex, who was from Dominican Republic, and all that. And we're all hanging out, and they're all like, we're all friends and everything, but they each would have these stories about their families and their own sort of cultural inheritance or whatever it was, and they were proud of that, but it didn't mean that they were better than anybody else or anything like that that's just their own experience and it had value you know and I thought that was so cool and that plus being away from home really got me thinking in a more intellectual way I guess in a more objective way about my own sort of cultural heritage and cultural context so that just sort of got me thinking about the south in a more 
just a more, I guess, intellectual way instead of just that's where I'm from and right. That's, that's right. It. You know, that's like where you started to develop sweet tea or whatever. You know, like, right. That's where you started to develop that appreciation for place and develop your own sense of place in art. Right. And and when I realized how important that's when I realized how important place was to me and it always had been. I just hadn't really realized. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's I just pretty. Been aware of it. That's just unique that. New York City would be the place to yeah. bring the South out of you, in a way. In a sense. Artistically, like you said. Yeah, yeah. But what did you study? Literature. I went up to study music initially, and that's what I'd gotten in for, to study music. Which might have been, too, part of the reason I got in was because they probably didn't have a lot of applicants from Alabama. Yeah. And they, I mean, there, there were very few kids from the South that I knew. And I was also applying to the music school. So. Yeah. But I got in there... And uh, was in way over my head. Like, I couldn't, could not hold my own at all with the other guys. Were you, like, shredding at this point like you can today? Or, I mean, Man, I can't were you far shred. away? <laughs> like, compared well, to I've these seen, guys. I've seen the well, shows, you know, so. Well, I, compared to these guys, I was, I just felt like I was doing pre-algebra and they were doing calculus uh -huh. four kind of stuff. So you, you know weren't, I mean? even back then, like at this point, you weren't where you are today musically? Like developed, or well, do, would you say you're not. kind of the same musician now? Or? Yeah, it's pretty much same kind of understand. I mean, it's I'm not that much of a better technical musician. So these guys were like technically then. gifted, they were technically mechanical, and like classically could, trained. Exactly. Okay, are they you more of like a self-taught person? Yeah, pretty much. Or more, I, I did have a guitar teacher, <laughs> but I never learned how to like read music or. It's mostly by ear that I play, yeah. you know. So. Yeah, I've never been to art school or anything. I'm not an yeah. artist. Uh, you know, I, I can play the guitar just a little bit, but right. it's it's funny to sort of think about think of yourself as like an outcast, relative outcast mm. at an art school, right? You know, where it's all it should be all about this sort of inclusion and sharing of sort of like artistic expression and you should be open to anything. But right. even then in college, you see these guys and what kind of things they can do musically. And you yeah. think, well, I don't belong here. Right. And I just couldn't keep up. And I wasn't really even interested in doing what they were doing because it was, to me, it seemed like to be coming too much from the brain, you know, and not enough from the heart or from the loins or wherever rock and roll comes from. You right. Know? And I just I was doing really poorly in my classes, like theory, music theory classes yeah. and stuff. I just I just was doing poorly in them. Like I, I man, I remember like we had to learn I had to learn these jazz songs and to apply. And I made a tape to send to them. You know, <laughs> literally a tape at that time. I sent them the tape, and one of like our first week at school during orientation and everything, we were supposed to play for like three professors and they were going to put you in a certain jazz ensemble that was part of your requirement to be in school and so I played these songs that I'd worked on and one was a Thelonious Monk song that was pretty tough and one was like I played a Django Reinhardt song oh, and man. I played I want to say probably like a Miles Davis tune complicated stuff so yeah yeah and I man I'd worked my butt off on this stuff you know I was sitting there and I played them and I got through them and I, I played like I was trying to play and I was really trying to do a good job, and I worked hard. And the uh, the professor said afterward, he's like, well, we're going to have to find you a teacher who can teach you how to play jazz because you sound pretty country right now. And I was like, what? You know, I was like, man, I've worked so hard. And I was trying to play jazz. That's exactly <laughs> what I was trying to do. And I was like, country? That's in a country? Like, and so I, 
<laughs> I called my granddaddy, who was my granddaddy's one of my heroes, and I called him and that day, and he, we were talking, and he said, well, you know, and after a while, he's like, well, how's it going with school and everything? And I said, uh, well, I just got out of this audition, and I played these songs, and the guy said that they're going to have to teach me how to play jazz because I sounded country. And he, he played trumpet in, in Dixieland bands back in the 30s and big bands and stuff. And he was like, well, he said, jazz is from Birmingham and Florence and Memphis and New Orleans is supposed to sound a little country, you know? <laughs> and uh, I thought that was pretty great. It made you feel better. It did make yeah. me feel a lot better. Yeah. He, he had a way of doing that. Then he said, well, and we talked for a while longer, and he said, well, he said, good luck up there. And he said, good luck learning how to play them Yankee blues. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. You got tied up with CMJ, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. While you were up How'd there. You know about that? Well, Elliot told me. Oh, he Because did? Elliot told me that's how you guys met, is it that is. you interviewed him for CMJ. Is that yep. why the Dexatines were playing up there? No. At that point, I'd never even seen the Dexatines. Okay. Which is weird because I... You were a fan before you became a member, right? Oh, yeah. But I didn't become aware of them until I was in college, until okay. I was in New York. Okay. But what's weird is, like, I'd seen Model Citizen play several times uh -huh. in high school. Right. Because they would play, I guess Dexteens didn't play the all-ages venues as much, maybe, or something. I don't know why I never saw them. They just weren't on your radar. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen their name in, like, the black and white in Birmingham or whatever. And my parents live right up the road from the Nick, so we would, I'd drive by the Nick every day to go to school and stuff, so I'd see their name on the marquee every once in a while. But <laughs> I couldn't get Yeah, you see all these bands that you couldn't see. Right, exactly. <laughs> I wonder what they sound yeah. like. You start kind of imagining in your head what right. they sound like. So that was before the Internet, too, you know, at that time. You couldn't just... It's just a guessing game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, band names were a lot more important in that time you think so yeah because now you can just google somebody yeah. and see what they sound like yeah but back then like the name would tell you you know what i mean because that that might be the only impression somebody ever had of yeah band, and you know now you your can name. just shazam something as it's playing like on your smartphone yeah. you know and like true. well tell me how you got true. linked up with cmj yeah that was like my college internship kind of oh, thing because okay. i was an english major yeah and, I wound up switching to an English major. The point of that whole story, yeah. But, uh, I was chasing rabbits there, <laughs> uh, but uh, that's college, man. Yeah. <laughs> and a buddy of mine up there that I was in a band with in New York had worked at CMJ. Okay. And so as an intern, so I got an internship there, and they started giving me more and more stuff to write while I was there. One of the editors, they had a section they did called Scene Report. They were like, "Hey, why don't you do?" this scene report feature. And what you do is you talk to a band and ask them about their town. This other guy that worked there usually did it, and he'd done one with uh, River City Tan Lines in Memphis. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, there's this great band. They're from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They're called, you know, this guy had no idea where Tuscaloosa was, you know, and I was like, they're called the Dexteens. Like, they're great. I would really like to do it with them. And he was like, well, let's, you know, see if they'll get back to you or whatever, you know. And uh, so I'd, I'd never met Elliot. Like I said, I'd seen Matt for years. Right. I never met him. No, I had met him. I met him and Sweet Dog. This is a cool story. <laughs> this is a really cool story. All right. My older brother got married, the one in New York. He got married the summer before my senior year of college. Yeah, sometime around there. They got married in Birmingham. And he, for their wedding band, he he's, as like I said, has great taste in music. And uh, for their wedding band, they got Paul Wine Jones, the Fat Possum Blues mm -hmm. artist. And uh, he showed up, and his roadie was Ham Bagby, 
His bass player was Matt Patton, and his drummer was Sweet Dog. Man. And I, that was the first time I'd even laid eyes on Sweet Dog or Ham before. And it's the first time I'd ever formally met Matt, you know, like shook his hand kind of deal. Paul Wine would play for like two hours, let's say. And they wanted, they had the reception for however long. So my brother's like, would you go up and play some songs just on an acoustic guitar before them? I was like, sure, yeah. So I did that. And towards the end of uh, Mr. Jones' set, he was like, where's that boy that was playing guitar earlier? He was like, why don't you come up here and play a couple with these guys? And I went up there and I played with Patton and Sweet Dog. And uh, afterward... I was talking to him, and Matt was like, man, you're pretty good, you know, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I play with Model Sizzle. I was like, that's where I know you from. Yeah, I've seen Model Sizzle a ton of times. Y'all are great. He's like, I play with, we both play with the Dex teens. And I was like, I've heard of y'all. He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I think you'd like it, you know. <laughs> and uh, so that's when I first listened to the Dex teens. I went and got a Hardwire Healing, and I just, it, I mean, yeah, dude, it just took me. It just took me. Little you know? did you know, right? Little did I know. Yeah. yeah. So you interviewed Elliot so I interviewed Elliot yeah. yeah several this months later and the way he put it I mean correct me if I'm wrong here but he said that you were interested in playing music and maybe yeah. going back down south and he yeah. suggested Athens yep but you ended up in Birmingham yep and so in 2008 how'd you get with the Dexatines I mean was it just a thing where y'all were in touch already yeah. what yeah well I moved when I moved back home out of school I just didn't want to go anywhere I went to Athens I took a trip to Athens, checked it out. I went to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I went to Memphis. And I was just like, man, I just, I love Birmingham, dude. I love it here. I, I love Tuscaloosa. Like, I love Alabama. This is where I feel at home. There was just great bands, I thought, on top of all that, you know. And so I put a band together with this guy, Rajon Parmalee in Birmingham, that I'd been that I'd known since high school. My buddy John Mahaffey was playing bass at first. In this band called Arkadelphia. And then John moved to Philadelphia. He's another buddy from Birmingham. So Rashawn and I were playing with different bass players. And we wanted to record. And I asked Elliot if he would produce it. Because at this time, Elliot and I were talking and everything. And I was going to see the Dexteens every time they played anywhere near, you know, in the state of Alabama, pretty much. I was like, man, would you mind producing? He's like, yeah, dude, I totally will. And Matt Patton played bass on it. So we recorded that album. At Shane Lawler's at Old Capitol. And Arkadelphia was playing shows around. And after a while, Matt introduced me to Justin Colburn, who played bass. He's the guy from Jasper I was talking about earlier, who's a Glory Fires mm-hmm. bass player. We were playing for quite a while. And then Justin was moving to Huntsville and for work and all this stuff. And around that same time, Elliot just called me one day and he was like, man, what would you think about playing guitar with the Dexteens? And I was just like, oh, <laughs> what? You know, because I mean, it, and I was really invested in this band, Arkadelphia, and the songs I was writing. But at that time, there were less than five bands that if they had asked me, quit your band and just play with our band, that I would have said yes to. And probably like two of those bands would have been the Rolling Stones or something. And the other ones, it was like the Dexteens. That was the only band that I would have, because I just love, it's not only that I love their band, but I believed in it. Like I believed in Elliot's songs and John's songs with everything I had. And I thought they were the best band in the world. I really did, you know. Well, and so you joined. And yeah, yeah and I know that, that it was essentially like a dream come true for you as yeah. a fan, you know, and you're playing yeah. in this band that is serious about music and here you are in this new environment. Yeah. And 
I talked to Elliot about it a little bit, and he yeah. talked about how you sort of changed the dynamic of the band. And you have this water jug here. Yeah. <laughs> why, why do you carry the water jug around? Man, um, to well, to stay hydrated. Yeah. The reason I started was because uh, I used to smoke like at least two packs a day. Yeah. And uh, on the road, and it would wear my voice out. And so I just had it in my mind that if I drank water, <laughs> that would somehow counteract all the tar I was putting in my lungs. Which it, it, I'm sure it didn't really. But then when I, I eventually quit smoking, but I kept the water thing going. Yeah. And I think part of it, because I'm kind of a compulsive uh-huh. person, so I think it's sort of a compulsion in a way. But it's a, you know, it's a healthy one, I yeah. guess. You know. And also, I guess the real reason it started was because on stage, I would, like in the middle of a set, my voice, I'd just be parched, like I'd be drenched in sweat, yeah. and I'd just be thirsty. Well, that's what I thought. That's actually how it started. Yeah. And then, but what I used to do is I'll just go up to the bartender and see if they would let me use just a beer pitcher and just fill it full of water and just drink out of that on stage. Right. But then, like, a lot of times they wouldn't let you do that. Right. they just give you, like, a cup of water. But I would slam that after the first song, and then I don't have any water. So that's when I started buying the jugs. The way he sort of put it was you came into the band as a fan, right? And yeah. he says you came in. Coming from that perspective, he said it helped him realize what was unique and special about the band. But it also, it also made him realize what was pretentious and sort of fake about the band. It just sort of gave him a new perspective on it. And that he said, like, any darkness that the band had at that point just sort of left, and the bad attitudes were gone, and everything just sort of felt positive. Did you notice that when you joined? Because you said you came from a place in your lifetime where there was darkness, and you had to come out of the woods, as you said. And here he is saying that this brand new positivity just sort of like changed the face of the Dexatines. Wow. Is that something that you ever thought would happen when you were in those woods? No way. Uh-uh. Yeah? Well, no. what, what what do you think when you hear that? That just, it, that just makes me feel good. Yeah? It breaks my heart. It's, uh, it's really sweet that he would say that. But I don't know. I mean, it's... Uh, and we, we, we've talked about that before. And I've thought about it too since, I guess, more when he and I have talked about it. Because now I've my own band, whereas I joined Elliot's band, basically him and Matt. It was their, you know, it's their band. And I guess that probably would be cool from his perspective. Because, I mean, it's just like I said, man, that was my favorite band ever. I mean, to this day, I think the Dexteens, and it has nothing to do with me playing in it, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if I brought anything to it musically. I mean, Elliot says that I did in, like, in spirit in some way, but... I mean, the first time I saw the Dexteens, I was like, this is the best band I've ever seen. As a rock and roll band, this is touching me in a way that I've just... It was reminiscent of church, really. Yeah. I mean, that's what it felt like. The first show that I went... It was like going from church to church and seeing how people connected with one another in something greater in these different ways. This was the one for me. You know what I mean? And I just felt it. Like, I felt enraptured. You know, just at their shows, not play, not playing it, just being there with them. So to be able to be a part of that and to sing those songs and play those songs is just one of the, you know most powerful musical experience I'd had. Seems easy point, for you, you know? too to play with the Dexatines. Seems yeah. like seems easy. It seems like you're having more fun up there when you play a set with them. Like the first time I saw you guys was at the Get Up show. Yeah, which was an amazing night for. Yeah. 
many different reasons. Yeah, but that was, Dexatine set seemed particularly special. Yeah. Did yeah. you feel that? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, every time. I mean, it's like I said. It's weird, man, because I'm really picky about songwriters and bands. And I, I'm not one of those people that likes a ton of bands. You know, most stuff I hear, I'm not really into. But golly, dude, they just, I mean, the, the Dexatines just laid me open, you know, like the, the first time I heard them and saw them. And playing with them has felt like to me, like you're just riding on a train. Like, that's all I have to do is I just get on the train. And then it's just, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know. Well, you know, and I, I hate to keep going back to the Elliot interview, but I mean, yeah. he shed some light, I thought, when I talked to him about this. And you're playing a bar tonight. Yeah. And you play bars a lot. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Where a bar is a bar. It's a yeah. certain kind of environment. Right. Right. And being on the road, that's a certain kind of environment, too. And I, I would suspect that it's challenging for a musician to maintain focus a lot, mm-hmm. especially on stage when yeah. certain things are happening around you. And something that, you know, he mentioned, he, he said he asked you, y'all had a conversation at one point where he asked you if it drives you crazy ever in those environments and in those situations if you can't have a drink when so many other people are and what he had said that you had said was in those moments that's when you sort of really sort of cherish what you're doing and cherish your friends and what you're all doing together in that it's a privilege just to be out playing music and just being with the people that you're playing with so is that something that you think about when you're in a bar or is it just all about the music in that moment about being with people and with my friends and that kind of thing? Well, yeah. Is that something that I think about? Well, that or just like being in a bar in general. And it's um, sort of like, you know, you know, because it just seems like, I mean, if you're not going to drink, right? Yeah. If, you, if you've made a choice not to do that. Right. It seems like playing in a bar, that would be a tough choice to make too. Yeah. Right? Man, it's, it's really not that strange to me, I guess. I've gotten so acclimated to yeah. it. I mean, it can be boring at times sitting around a bar for hours just kind of and, and really to like glory fires don't do that much and that's something that we're pretty good about is like if we get to town because a lot of times a club will be like get there we need you there at six o'clock to sound check and then you blah 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 he just wound up sitting in a bar for like eight hours or something crazy to, and uh so we just don't do that we'll just show it we'll just be like we're not gonna sound check we're just gonna go we're gonna rip find it. a swimming yeah. hole or like a, you know <laughs> somewhere to skateboard or something like do something more i don't know fun you yeah. know than just sitting around but in as far as insofar as just being in a bar like it doesn't bother me it just seems like once you're playing you know once the music starts happening Mm -hmm. and you start playing with people then that's all you're focused on yeah you know it's it should be yeah you know it's uh man it's weird and that's something about the dexatines too that playing with them that was different from playing with the band now is that like like i said earlier i believed in Elliot's songs and John's songs and I believed in the band I really never considered myself like into how do you say it integral or integral yep. either you're in the is south it, man say, yeah, say however you want to <laughs> cool anyway <laughs> it whatever that word is right uh, to the band they were already an entity they were right. a fixed entity and I was just sort of an addendum to it you know like it, I was irrelevant to the Dexatines, as it were. In your mind. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, in my mind, that's totally, because, I mean, you know, the Dexatines have had plenty of guitar players, you know, 
they've always been a great band. It doesn't matter who's playing guitar, really. So to me, there was no... I just didn't have any hang-ups about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really, at all. Like, it, And to me, it was just fun, and it was, uh, it was very easy to have a sense of confidence and purpose and all that kind of thing, and just joy... Because I I didn't I didn't have that emotional invest I did have an emotional investment but I didn't have the personal investment in the band that Elliot and Matt did and I didn't have the I didn't have the history with it that they did so you just kind of felt have the creative you know sort of investment that they did in it these were their songs they weren't my songs you just kind of felt like a gun for hire I guess or I didn't feel like that because yeah. I love that band and right. I felt so honored to be a part of it and uh-huh. all that but it was almost there was a comfort in my relative insignificance because uh-huh. I whether I was there or not they were going to still be awesome you know what I mean so I didn't even have to worry about it it's like I could just show up and you know play a half-ass show and it's still going to be great because it's the next teens you know what I mean yeah that's interesting I, you know I think those guys would probably have a completely different answer really? to that <laughs> than you you know it kind of reminds me of that's like funny. Like a band like Wilco, right? Yeah. I don't know if you're a fan of theirs at all, yeah. but you know they had this guitar player Nels Klein right. that joined their band late, kind of like your situation, okay. right? Where Wilco already existed, mm-hmm. but they had a member leave the band and they needed a new guitarist. Was that Jay Bennett? Did he yeah. replace Jay Bennett? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and here he comes, and Wilco's still playing Wilco songs, right? right? Jeff Tweedy's still writing all the songs, yeah. But here's Nels Klein, and he's just tearing it up in a completely different way, and adds yeah. this new dimension to the band that they never knew that they could have. Right. And I'm sure that's happened over and over and over in rock or in music in general before. So, yeah, that's an interesting perspective of the guy who actually is the new guy in the band where it's just like, you know what? I'm just here. I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm just glad to be a part of it. Yeah, and I'm just exactly. going to do my best. I yeah, and yeah. I love and I loved it. And like I said, I believed that Elliot, in a way, could articulate what I was feeling better than I could. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I was like, I, it wasn't. I, I felt like I was on the shoulders of giants, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Well, and now you know you're in the glory fires, and yeah. it's your band. Yeah, and you guys are playing shows. You're packing places out. You're playing Green Bar tonight. Of course, when this airs, you'll have played Green Bar. Right. You're headlining shows like that in Tuscaloosa and Birmingham and other places. I mean, you guys had a great year last year. Obviously, your debut did very well. Critics loved it. Fans loved it. You toured with the Alabama Shakes. Mm -hmm. Was it pretty bizarre seeing yourself in Rolling Stone? That was super bizarre. I bet. That was really weird. I get, I just, there's, you know, I don't know what, that's just the kind of, person that I am I guess I just like looked at it and I was like oh man they they, they made a mistake <laughs> they didn't mean to put that in there what I mean that's my name about, you know? that's yeah, my name like, that's my, my song picture, that's my picture song, but, but it can't be me no nah, dude that's yeah. not me that's <laughs> something must have you know I don't know what <laughs> so that was unexpected so oh yeah completely yeah, yeah that was who brought that unexpected. to your attention my buddy John C in uh, Birmingham he lives in Atlanta now but We'd played in Mobile that night, and I woke up. And we were playing in Tuscaloosa the, the night of the day I woke up. But I woke up in Mobile, and I had a text from John, and I read it. And he said, boy, you're in the dang old Rolling Stone. <laughs> and I was like, I thought that it was like a joke or something that I didn't get. He was making like a reference to something that uh-huh. I wasn't catching. Because he's a funny guy. He's, and so I texted back like, what? I, like, what do you mean? <laughs> 
And he texted back, you are in Rolling Stone magazine. And I was like, no, we're not. And he was like, he sent me a picture of it with his, you know, like a right. cell phone picture. Right. And I was like, what? No, we're not like that. I just <laughs> refused to believe it. And then we, uh, like we drove around all the way between Mobile and Tuscaloosa trying to find a copy and they weren't on newsstands yet here. I guess like he, he got it at the airport or something. Yeah. But uh, you became knee deep in this Alabama music movement last year. Yeah. Where the spotlight just shined on our state. Obviously, the Alabama Shakes had this meteoric rise yeah, that really sure. sort of came out of nowhere. And I, you mm. know, I'm in the camp that thinks it's deserved. Yeah. And I, I just dig their music. Yeah. I like it a lot. Absolutely. And I look forward to the next album and everything. Yeah. But also, as an Alabamian, mm-hmm. you're proud just yeah. sort of by default. Sure, that this is them. happening. Yeah. But then you've got you guys popping up in Rolling Stone, touring with them, making noise, and then there are a handful of other folks too. Mm. I mean, to be a part of that, I know that you've said playing bigger crowds suddenly when you were on that tour was kind of weird. Yeah. When you had these sold out shows where people were all there ready to watch you play and ready right. to watch Alabama Shakes. Yeah. I mean, what was that experience like? Yeah, it was, it was very different from anything right. that we I think any of us in the band had experienced. Right. I think the thing that was because I had played those were the first times Glory Fires had played shows in front of even close to that many people. Right. But I'd I I'd played in front of that many people with the Dexteens before or close. And uh you had planned opening for bands, drive by truckers or Lucero or something like that. But I think the thing that was weird about those crowds, particularly at that time, because the Shakes album hadn't even come out yet, mm-hmm. their full length. So they were just like about to explode. Right. So there was a weird kind of vibe of like, there were some people who were there who loved the band, uh-huh. who were there for the music, obviously. Right. But then it seemed like there was also a portion of people there who were just kind of there because they thought something important was happening okay. or something. You know what I mean? It's what was trending and they were just sort of wanting to see what all the fuss they was about. They were curious. Yeah. That's, that's like the vibe that was there. It's okay. Like this, we're curious. This about might be this. the next thing. Right. Yeah. This might deal. be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they hadn't heard the band yet and they'd heard, I don't know. It was a different vibe than like last time I went to see the shakes that everybody was singing the words to all yeah. the songs and all that kind of thing. But that time it was like, people didn't even know the songs. They were, you know, some people did hmm. knew some of them, but at that point they only had like four songs, yeah, available for listening. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So, uh, so it was strange in that way too. And the weirdest thing about it was we'd be, you know, we, like we watched them sound check at Letterman. You know, they were doing Letterman, and I was sitting there thinking. It was six months ago, literally six months ago, that we were playing with them on the Bama Bell. And then it was a year and a half prior that we played with them for the first time at Egan's. And they were first of three. They It was us, them, and Black Willis, you know, and they were the first band and nobody had ever seen them before. And we're like, who are these guys, you know? Like, I, you know, I was at Bo Hicks' birthday party one time, mm-hmm. and it was an Egan's show. And it was Bakwai, somebody else, and Alabama Shakes. Yeah. Nobody had ever heard of them. Right. And I went there to see Bakwai. Yeah. I was a fan, I'm a fan of theirs. Yeah. So I caught their set, and as I'm outside talking to one of their band members or something, Alabama Shakes are warming up. Yeah. And I think it might have been like Adam Pate or somebody, and he says, have you heard of these guys before? And I'm like, nah, I think I'm going to head home. You know? Yeah. And I didn't see their you set or anything <laughs> when they were unknown. I'm just like, nah, I'm, I, you know, I, I hear they're good, but I, you know, I'm... I've never I'm really heard of them. Like, yeah, yeah, I saw y'all said I'm good to go. Yeah, I got to cut the grass or whatever. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. and then you know, a week <laughs> later, probably 
it's like, yeah, they're going to be on Conan or they're, right. you know, they're blowing up now. It's so it's interesting. But yeah. you, you were a part of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's weird, man. Eric, who's playing guitar with us now, Eric Wallace, because Matt Wortley, who had been playing with us, isn't playing with us anymore. He had, he's had stuff to tend to here in town. But Eric was saying the other day, was talking about the Alabama music thing, because there are like articles being written about it and stuff. And it's interesting seeing that stuff written because, I mean, the Shakes are doing extremely well. Mm. Like, and, you know, we, I mean, I'm really grateful for the press we've gotten. And I'm grateful anytime anybody comes to one of our shows, you know, like if, if a, one person comes because they're like, man, I, I like Hell's record or whatever, that, that means a lot to me. But, you know, but we, we still play a lot of shows, you know, and, you know, the middle of Indiana or whatever, where there's just not hardly anybody here, you know, that, that definitely happens. So it's, you know, at the same time, like I'm really grateful for the opportunity to play in the middle of Indiana, you know, and to be able to get to have enough people coming to see us other places and enough people into it to where we can book shows all over the place and all that kind of thing. So, but I feel somewhat of a disconnect when I read those articles, when I see those mentions, because I think that while there is definitely a musical and creative camaraderie and thing like that happening i don't i don't know if i really and maybe i just have a weird perspective because i'm me and i'm not looking at it from the outside but i don't really i mean what we're experiencing on a day-to-day level on the road is not is very very far removed from what the shakes are experiencing you know what i mean yeah so that's kind of strange when, when people are say things like use terms like blowing up or yeah. successful or things like that. Like, I mean, I definitely feel successful creatively yeah. and in that we do have lots of friends who are making cool art in one way or another or doing whatever. There, there's a lot of space between, between, uh, just the daily reality of touring, right. you know, it's a grind. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, it's a grind. I mean, there are plenty, of, like I said, there are plenty of shows where there aren't many people there and sleeping in the van and stuff like that. You know, it's like Sweet Dog said, you know, it's pillow. <laughs> and, and, and that's not to say that the, that the shakes are like sleeping on, you know, mattresses stuffed with hundred dollar bills or anything like that. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's a, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, man. It's not all pillows, blankets, and popcorn. <laughs> we'll just reuse that headline. Just, How about that? That should be yeah. the name of your dang podcast, too. Well, um, real quick, <laughs> yeah. before I let you go, just give me a ballpark date on when the next album might be coming out. I'm hoping, I'm thinking it would be safe to say early next year, okay. early 2014, because we're recording in July. So Okay. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Bro. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Sure. Everything.